Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As three, we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying always for you. Okay, let us um, um, look at the introduction to the book, The City. This, this is the historical background. The city of Colossae was a city of Phrygia, Pasatiana, now a part of Natulia in Asia Minor. That this city perished by an earthquake a short time after the date of this epistle. We have the testimony of Eusebius. That which at present is supposed to occupy the site of this ancient city is called Konos. Colossi was an ancient city of Phrygia in Asia Minor, one of the most celebrated cities of Southern Anatolia, which is modern Turkey. The epistle to the Colossians an early Christian text which identifies its author as Paul, the apostle. It's addressed to the church at Colossae. Of this ancient city, not much is known. It was situated between Laodicea and Hierapolis, and at an equal distance from either and to this place, and it was to this place that Xerxes, the Assyrian king, came in his expedition against Greece. The government of this city is said to have been democratic, and its first magistrate bore the title of Archon and Praetor. The Macedonians transferred Colossae to the Persians. It afterwards passed under the government of the Seleucidae, now, after the defeat of Antiochus III at the Battle of Magnesia, it became subject to Eumenes, king of Pergamos. And when Attalus, the last of his successors, bequeathed his dominion to the Romans, this city with the whole of Phrygia formed a part of the proconsular province of Asia, which division subsisted till the time of Constantine the Great. After the time of this emperor, Phrygia was divided into Phrygia Passatiana and Phrygia Salutaris, and Colossi was the sixth city of Phrygia Passatiana. Now, the ancient city of Colossi has been extinct for nearly 1800 years. About the tenth year of the emperor Nero, but a year after the writing of this epistle, not only Colossi, but Laodicea and Hierapolis were destroyed by an earthquake. 
according to Eusebius. And the city which was raised in the place of the former was called Conos, which name it now bears. Now, the epistle to this city appears to have been written about the same time with that to the Philippians towards the end of the year 62 AD and in the ninth year of the Emperor Nero that the two epistles were written about the same time is rendered probable by the following circumstance. The epistle to the Philippians, Philippians 2.19, St. Paul purposes to send Timothy to Philippi who was then with him at Rome that he might know their state. As Timothy joins with the apostle in the salutation at the beginning of this epistle from Paul the apostle Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother as we read at the beginning. It is evident that he was still at Rome and had not yet been sent to Philippi and as St. Paul wrote the former epistle nearly at the close of his first imprisonment at Rome. The two epistles must have been written within a short space of each other. Now, there's another question. By whom was this uh, uh, letter to the Colossians written? And, and who was the first preacher that led the Colossians to Christ? When or by whom Christianity was first preached at Colossae and a church founded there, we cannot tell. But it is most likely that it was by St. Paul himself. And during the three years in which he dwelt at Ephesus, for he had then employed himself with such zeal and diligence that we are told in Acts 19.10 that all they that dwell in Asia had the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And that Paul preached in Phrygia, the district in which this city was situated. We learn from Acts 16.6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they asked to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit forbade them. At another time, we find that he went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. This is Acts 18.23. It has, however, been argued that Colossians 2.1 of this epistle, that from Colossians 2.1 of this epistle, Paul had never been at Colossae. For he there says, I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. But the consequence drawn from these words does not absolutely follow. Dr. Ladner alleges a variety of considerations which induce him to believe that the churches of Colossae and Laodicea were founded by St. Paul. The first thing he says is that the apostle was twice in Phrygia, in which were Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. Okay, he quoted this himself. In the book of Acts, that he does not, does he does in effect or even expressly say that he had dispensed the gospel to the Colossians in Colossians 1 22 to 25. And I read that at one time you were far away from God and were his enemies because of the evil things you did and thought. But now, by means of the physical death of his son, 
God has made you his friends in order to bring you holy, pure, and faultless into his presence. You must, of course, continue faithful on a firm and sure foundation. You must not allow yourselves to be shaken from the hope you gained when you heard the gospel. It is of this gospel that I, Paul, became a servant. This gospel which has been preached to everybody in the world. And now I am happy about my sufferings for you, for by means of my physical sufferings, I am helping to complete what still remains of Christ's sufferings on behalf of his body, the church. And I have been made a servant of the church by God. Give me this task to perform for your good. It is the task of fully proclaiming his message. So, this will suggest clearly that the Apostle Paul did proclaim the message himself to the Colossians. Something that Epaphras, who is called the Apostle to the Colossians, was the first who planted Christianity among the Colossians. Now, but the arguments drawn from Acts 16, 6, 18, 23, referred to above, are quite invalidated if we accept um, that Paul passed through Phrygia. If we allow the opinion of some learned men among us, among whom are Suidas and Calepine, okay, these men who posit that the that Colossi is a name derived from a giant statue in Rhodes called Colossus, and that it was normal for the uh, uh, citizens of that time to refer to people from Rhodes as Colossians. In other words, people who live where the statue of the Colossus, gigantic statue in Rhodes, exists. So, the argument continues about authorship. You know, scholars are always talking about authorship, and it's a relevant point because of authenticity. I'll give you an example. Some have suggested that some of the stories in the book of John, you know, are fables. For instance, the resurrection of Lazarus or the raising of Lazarus from death. They had suggested that how could such a monumental event escape Peter, escape uh, uh, um, all the disciples that Luke collected his material from? How could such a thing escape them? But then the counter argument is that also the escaped the also, the other thing that escaped them was the, was the wedding in Cana in Galilee. You know, it also escaped them. And, and, and the, and the uh, encounter with the woman caught right-handed in adultery, and the encounter with the Samaritan woman, all of these are peculiar to John. So you cannot use such an argument. So you see, critics are consistently trying to, 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 to uh, find some uh, argument to derail authenticity so that they can invalidate the scripture. So in a sense, someone might think all these things are superfluous for me as a believer, but then you have to witness in the world. You have to answer people's queries. You have to answer their confusions. So let us take another look at Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 to Let me tell you how hard I've worked for you. I'm for the people in Laodicea and for all others who do not know me personally. Now, that particular statement, it doesn't really say that uh, 
uh, the Colossians don't know him personally. It's like I would say, well, I've written this letter um, for the people in Abba, for the people in Oweri, for the people in Ibadan, and all the other peoples in Nigeria that uh, have never seen me before. So does that suggest that people in Abba, Oweri, are also part of? No, it doesn't. So I could have written that. Well, I'm writing to people in Abba. They know me. People in Oweri, they know me. People in Ibadan, they know me. And to all the other people in uh, Jos and all these other places who read about me, but they don't know me. Now, for somebody to now use that statement to suggest that uh, the Colossians never really met uh, Paul before, and so and so Paul wasn't the one who preached to them. Uh, I don't think that supports the argument. However, uh, uh, um, um, it is there is still some some bit of um, uh, uh, um, uh, text that will say, well, there is a possibility, really. Because Epaphras, Epaphroditus, or Epaphras, as he was called, was one of the closest companions of Paul. Because when we read in Colossians chapter 1, 3 to 4, we, we see Paul say, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard. Okay? So this will suggest, really, that even though uh, Paul wasn't the one that preached to them, but he took them as part of his uh, uh, work because it was done by one of his protégés, Epaphras. So he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, indeed may suggest that another, another possibly Epaphras may have preached first in Colossae. Well, whether the Colossians to whom the apostle addresses this epistle were Jews or Gentiles cannot be absolutely determined. It is most probable that they were a mixture of both, but that the principal path were converted Jews is very most likely, as was the case in most places. This indeed appears to have been the case in most of the Asiatic and Grecian churches, for there were Jews at this time sojourning in almost every part of the Roman Empire, which then consisted of the greatest portion of the known world. Now, the language of this epistle is bold and energetic. The sentiments are grand. The conceptions vigorous, majestic. The phraseology is in many places Jewish, obviously because some of the concepts don't belong to Gentile idol worshippers. The phraseology is in many places Jewish, and the reason is obvious. The apostle had to explain subjects which never had a name in any other language. The mythology of the Gentiles could not furnish terms to explain the theology of the Jews, much less the more refined and spiritual system of Christianity. So let us uh, conclude um, this background. It is necessary sometimes to know the background to the book we are studying to equip us to answer questions that may arise. For example, someone may accept Pauline authorship but argue that he was violating a concept or principle he had set for himself in Romans 15, 20, where he said, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, 
to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And he was quoting from Isaiah 52, 15. We have books. Um, um, so, so now, now the, the, the fact that um, uh, he, he didn't preach, if Epaphras preached first to the uh, Colossians, then it is also um, 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 quite uh, uh, appropriate for Paul, who is the mentor of Epaphras, to consolidate their faith by writing directly to them. Okay? Now, we have books. You see, background is important because we have books that need this background more than others, where chronology must define authorship. You know, if you, if you look at the time, then you'll be able to say, oh no, you couldn't have written it, you know. One of them is Second Samuel, because the prophet Samuel died in First Samuel and did not witness, even though he anointed David king, he did not witness the reign of King David. And so, and so by, by looking at the background, we must then see that, hmm, hmm, someone else must have written Second Samuel at the very least, or in fact, all of Samuel. However, uh, um, uh, opinions generally agree that Samuel wrote First Samuel, but that Second Samuel was uh, added through the works of the prophets Gad and Nathan. Okay, so so th this is why backgrounds are helpful because someone might might want to uh, 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 confuse you or say, well, the Bible is not authentic because Samuel died in First Samuel. How could he have written Second Samuel? Okay, so that's why sometimes some of these backgrounds are very helpful. Okay, so now we leave all of that aside and then come to the salutation. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, a brother. Now, we are told that Pauline epistles generally carry this trademark introduction because this is the, 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 the foundation of the controversy about the book of Hebrews. It does not carry this trademark uh, uh, salutation. You know, there is the book of Hebrews and how it started. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, you see, it doesn't have that introduction. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So, those who dispute, you know, in, in our old Bibles, um, um, the book of Hebrews was credited to Apostle Paul. As I grew up knowing that the, the, um, Hebrews was uh, one of Pauline letters. And then later on, all the so new uh, authorities started to question that. But anybody who has read the book of Romans and then has read the book of Hebrews will know, will know immediately that the, the masterly and scholarly logical way that both were written could only have come from the pen of the erudite scholar of the day, the Apostle Paul. Okay, but, but, um, but it's still important to mention uh, uh, um, this introduction. Paul, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Okay? Now, this salutation, many people have suggested that this is the common salutation of that time that people don't just write you a letter. They will introduce themselves as servants or, or, or apostles or, 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 or um, um, uh, some relation to Christ. That's how they introduce themselves. Now, I can identify with this because in the year 1971 or 1972, um, at an IVCU Sunday fellowship in Mellonby Hall, the visiting uh, speaker, as an Englishman that day, he mentioned that Christians should begin their letters with Christian salutation. Okay? From then on, many of us started all our personal mails, all our personal letters with, I greet you in the precious name of our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I, and I have continued to, to write in this way. And so it is possible, of course, that uh, this was the uh, normal salutation of Christians at the time. You know, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we were using all those years. You know, even up until now, until letter writing became uh, uh, emails. And I don't know what has happened to emails now. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, in those days we will add, I greet you in the name of... Uh, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, whose I am and whom I serve. You know, we used to write like that. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, whose I am and whom I serve. You know, and, and so if you if you picked up, you know, as a researcher, you know, looking at writings of that period, you will see a common pattern in all their letters. Now, but beyond the general, you know, that this might be the general greeting of the time, there is the Pauline habit of announcing his calling in Christ up front. That is a Pauline habit. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he leaves you in no doubt that he knows his calling in Christ. That's a challenge. For you and I, I should be able to answer to the question, what is your calling in Christ by the will of God? And I should be able to say, I know my calling in Christ by the will of God. I know what God has called me, you know, uh, uh, to do. I know what I should be, you know, so that I can do what God wants me to do. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, you know. So that calling everyone must understand their calling why because it enables you it empowers you to focus your spiritual development i think i've shared with you once that uh, when i went to that anointing service in the university of Ibadan, 1973 they pronounced three apostolic uh, uh, prophetic and teaching okay apostolic prophetic and teaching but then I was already teaching. So I was teaching, traveling, teaching. Then one day as I was praying, the Holy Spirit said, why are you concentrating 
on your own one. I called you to three things, apostolic, prophetic, and teaching. You need to begin to pray for the other uh, 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 ministries to develop. And I actually started to pray when I went to Eket to preach. And uh, there was a prophetic word, you know, that uh, confirmed my, my apostolic uh, uh, ministry, you know. Also, when I, I attended an anointing service in, um, in um, Rochester, New York, in Foursquare Gospel Church on Fisher Road, 312 Fisher Road in Rochester, there was another anointing service. You know, and I also was confirmed, the apostolic, you know, uh, 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 in that meeting. So, so, so it is important for, for, for someone to have an idea of their calling so that so that they can begin to pray you know and say oh god you have called me to this please you know let the anointing for this office let the let the gifts for this office rest upon me that is the purpose of knowing your calling you know i remember we were discussing this at a camp those days that uh, is, is a called foursquare camp now but it used to be nigerian youth camp we we're discussing this there and uh, uh, many years ago, in the 70s, and uh, a lady uh, uh, got up and said, well, all I know that is that God has called me to be a help. You know, you know he hasn't called me to all these big things, people like, but he's called me. I know he has called me to. And wherever that lady is, whatever needs to be done, you will see her there helping out to do it. You know, helping out. Whatever needs to be done, you'll be there helping out to do it. So, so, so it is important for, for one to uh, uh, um, uh, know their calling. Number, number, the second thing is that it will protect us from carnal ambitions. You know, it will protect us from carnal ambitions. I told you how uh, knowing my calling delivered me when the, our church, my church was trying to pressure me into uh, becoming a pastor. Uh, but because I knew my calling, my first response was that I, I, was, I was not called to be a pastor. They, had, they didn't call me to be a pastor, you know. And, uh, and uh, the pressure was great. But then God gave me a revelation that answered everybody, you know, that uh, you're, you're, you're a soldier that doesn't wear uniform. So don't get all this apostle, uh, uh, prophet, and, and reverend, reverend. <laughs> so, so just go quietly. And so, and so um, when the apostle Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone may just uh, 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 sweep through it, say, no, don't. Because it's an indication that every believer in Christ should know their calling so that they can develop and pursue it until it begins to manifest. The anointing of that calling begins to speak to the world around them. So, the anointing service is a part and parcel. And, and that's where this is leading to. Because the anointing service that assists the individuals to, to know their calling, you know, or to confirm what they know, okay, these are very, very important part of the um, life of the church. First um, um, Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the gift that is in you 
which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery or the elders. Also revealed in 1 Timothy 4.14. But the next one is 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders that true well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture said, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Okay? Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. So, this is an admonition to, P, uh, to Timothy. He said, Timothy was, a, 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 there was the bishop, but he was young, you know. And you can imagine that um, people may campaign and canvass. They may know somebody they like who, you know, they will want Timothy to quickly and, uh, uh, lay hands on them and confirm them elders. And Paul said, don't do that too. Don't do that too. <laughs> don't do that, you know. The, this and this agree with another admonition about ordaining deacons in First Timothy three eight to ten. Deacons must also be of good character. They must not be too faced or addicted to alcohol. They must not use shameful ways to make money. They must have clear consciences about possessing the mystery of the Christian faith. First, a person must be evaluated. Then if he has a good reputation, he may become a deacon. So lay hands suddenly would suggest, do not be stampeded into making a man a deacon or an elder. Insist on each one being properly evaluated before you lay hands on them. Besides, we learned that this practice of laying on of hands was considered fundamental to the life of the church. In Hebrews 6, 1-2, to Therefore, the Bible says there, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ and not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God, and that's where we are going to continue, because that's a loaded statement, by the will of God, so that every believer will know the essence of doing anything and everything in the will of God, becoming in the will of God, doing in the will of God, everything in the will of God. So, in conclusion then, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, may be an introduction to the letter, but it is certainly more than that. It challenges you and I to know our calling in Christ by the will of God. It challenges us not to live an unfocused Christian life, but to use the calling we receive to desire and receive the gifts needed to actualize them. It should 
sharpen our sensitivity to the will of God has been defining in the pursuit of destiny. Our Lord Jesus Christ said in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. That is the whole essence of life. To begin the work God has called you and I to do, to continue it and to finish it. We must of necessity then know what God has given us to do during our sojourn on this earth. So we can begin and finish it before we leave. Amen. We can take a few questions. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. Thank you. Thank you for that. Please, if anyone has a question, please raise your hand and let us know. Uh, let me let me take the first one as uh, as usual. <laughs> doctor, I thank you for for pointing us towards a Christian or godly ambition, which is to to know our own uh, identity and our calling. But then you you mentioned something in passing about the anointing service. I don't know if you want to talk about that as it relates to us in KLS and how we can help. Yes, I, yes, we can organize it. We can organize it. We um, we do. I, I've organized the anointing services before, and um, um, people need to be uh, 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 hungry. You know, people need to be hungry in the sense that um, there must be desire. That's why the Apostle Paul said, desire spiritual gifts. You know, I, I hope I'm making sense. Oh, because yes, absolutely, you, sir. You don't call a man that is uh, relaxed, laissez-faire, and say, God has called you to be an apostle. <laughs> you know, well, it may, may work for some people, you know, because that may wake, me, wake them up if they understand that understand it you know but it's like what paul was saying people who have no desire really to to do things in the kingdom of god no 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 let them let them first of all start doing something before they start you know in other words be a witness first and then begin to desire to grow more so so yes it, it would be nice to organize a anointing services in due course you know, but people have to be quite primed about it so they know what is the whole thing is all about Dr. Evangelist, you have a question please unmute okay, yes um, yes, I have a question um, first to thank Dr. for um, dedication to have always um, put us on the spot on the word my question first is can God call an irritate or somebody who is uneducated that will lead to my second question my second question would be do we really know God by the depth of our knowledge of studying the word of God or do we know God by the revelation of the spirit very good questions. Doctor. Okay, now, the, the, the first question, can God call an illiterate? Of course. Hey, Peter, all these people, they were they not illiterate. They're not lettered now. All, none of them. In fact, the only person that may have been lettered, two people that may have been lettered there, are Matthew and Judas. You know, the rest of them didn't go to school at all. And, in, and I mean... <laughs> Dr. Luke also. No, Luke was not a, a disciple or an apostle. Uh -huh. 
Okay. No, okay. it was just a companion of Paul, but an educated person who wrote the book by collating. Luke, Luke actually said he collated all the information that was available and put them chronolo chronologically. That's why he, he, he did his genealogy up to Adam. He did, um, he did um, 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 the, the gospel by, by introducing the birth of John the Baptist. Other people mentioned John the Baptist, but Luke went to chronicle his, uh, uh, his birth and the relationship he had with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, so Luke, Luke was an educated person that had it. But in terms of Jesus' closest companions, Matthew was the tax collector, so I will assume he was lettered, you know. And then Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot, by the way, is the only one that came from Judea. The rest came from Galilee. They were fishermen from Galilee. Quite a few of them were fishermen from Galilee. So God can call a, an illiterate person. When I, was, um, when I went to Nairobi for the World Charismatic Congress in 1975, I, I keep talking about this Kukuyu girl that came to preach at that convention. No, she didn't preach because she, 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 she wasn't lettered. But they brought her out to pray because she was anointed, you know. So she wasn't lettered, so she could. One young man was following her, preaching for her, but then she'll come and pray when they finish. Okay, so, so yes, God can call. It's not a matter of education at all. Okay, now the second one is uh, now, sorry. Remind me again. The second one was on. Is it by is it by knowledge? Knowing God is it by knowledge? Oh by yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Now it's a combination. It is a combination. Now, the, the, the reason is because some people may not be literate, but they listen very carefully when you read the scriptures. You get amazed. You know, you know, some of them have what we call electric brains <laughs> you read it once they won't forget you know they may not remember the the you know even even now what we what helps us to remember where the scripture is you know the scripture but you don't know the reference but now computer has made it so easy in those days you have to bring down all your concordance and be searching endlessly but now with computer in in, in a jiffy you have the answer you know, once you remember a word or a phrase that uh, is in the verse, you know, you yes. can use it to trace the verse. So, 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 but, but, but um, the thing about the revelation, though, is that you may now know a scripture, okay? You have heard the scripture. And then the revelation gives you the interpretation that you need in your life. I told you once of um, how I read um, uh, First Peter 5, um, 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 oh, no, no, not his first John 5. Greater, greater is he. You have overcome them because greater is he that is in you, in you than he, than he that is in the world. Okay, okay, so now I read that scripture and I, I was driving to church in, uh, uh, in Atlanta on a Sunday morning and the Spirit of God said, started to whisper to me, said to me, do you know what that scripture means? I said, no. He said, what it means is that the one in you is the creator. The one in the world is the creature. Okay? Yes. Between the creature and the creator, there can be no comparison. Mm -mm. So it was a revelation, you know, but it was based on the scripture I had read earlier read. And, and so it's a combination. And so our insights, I, I told you of another experience 
that uh, I was going to read the book of Matthew again. And I said to the, to the Lord, this Matthew, I won't be able to concentrate on because I know all these stories. So I'll be reading it from my mind. But I want you to help me to learn something new as I read it. And then after that, I now read uh, Matthew chapter 2, where um, um, God woke up um, uh, Joseph in the middle of the night and said, carry this child and run to Egypt. They want to kill the child, carry and run to Egypt. And so jo Joseph arose that night and carried the child to Egypt. And then the next day, and the next day, uh, uh, Herod still killed um, the two-year-olds and down. So the Spirit of God said to me, do you know what that story means? The devil doesn't know everything. Mm. Yes. Because if he, has, if he knows everything, he would have known that the plans have changed. And he would have go, gone to tell Herod. Uh, yes, don't bother, to, don't bother to go to Bethlehem. Go and wait for them on the road to Egypt. <laughs> so it was an eye-opener. Because people used to uh, behave in those days as if the devil and God are really at the same level. You know? It was ridiculous. And I thought it was ridiculous. But then the Holy Spirit gave me a scripture that showed that it is ridiculous. So, 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 yes, a combination of both. You would read the scripture or hear the scripture, and then the Spirit will give you the, the, the interpretation that really helps your faith. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Doctor. Um, is there anyone who wants to ask a question? We'll take the last one. Okay, well, one, one, one thing that came to me, sir, is that is it possible that uh, Paul in writing his letters, when he was writing to the Hebrews, it was more important to put out his revelation of the work of, of Christ than to put his uh, introduction at the beginning because he would be off-putting. No, but but um, I think the, what, this is my view of what happened there. You know, Paul didn't really physically write these letters. Sure, he dictated yeah. them to people who came to them. Yes, so I think this is the fault of the... I think it's... Um, I don't... Who are the people mentioned at the end? Okay, let's. Oh, there's the it's it's a it's a Silva, Silvanus. Silvanus, uh, hey, I think it was Silvanus that wrote that letter. Yes, Silas. So, yes, so 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 it is the people who wrote it that made that error, you know, because they mentioned themselves uh, in in that uh, end, you know. Thank you very um, much, sir. 